different than you're used to, and, and to be honest, I, I'm here so infrequently, I don't know what you're used to, but uh, we're going to do things uh, slightly differently, I think, and we're going to start by having Tim come up and share something that, uh, that he's been working on. All right, so I'm here to talk to you about waiting on God. Has there ever been a time when you've had to wait on God's timing? Uh, perhaps it is happening right now, a time when you pray and seek God diligently, but he doesn't seem to answer, at least not in the way you want him to. Maybe you're even asking for something important, such as healing for you or someone you love, a job or a godly relationship with someone. You might think to yourself, why wouldn't God let this happen? Isn't he loving and doesn't he promise to provide for me? I want to share some things with you about my life because there have been times when I have been waiting for God and have become discouraged, but God has always come through for me in the best way. About a year and a half ago, I had just finished my college course of developmental services, which involves supporting people with disabilities. I had taken my college placements at Christian Horizons, which is a Christian organization for this type of work. I was well-liked there, and after my college course was complete, I quickly applied for a job there. The interviews went well, and I was sure I would get the job, but a couple weeks later, I found out differently. I was stunned and discouraged at the news. It was also this time in my life that I didn't really have any friends either. I felt quite down and like I had no real purpose in life. I wasn't very close to God at that time either. Thankfully, God is good and he provided me with work throughout the summer for a farmer who was actually short of workers, so he blessed us both at this time. But I was looking for something more. I believed that God had given me a heart for people, but no one to share that heart with. I waited as the months passed and started wondering if I would ever make any friends and if God really had a plan for me to help people. God had answers to both questions. I believe it was last October near Thanksgiving. My sisters had been attending Kingsway Youth for a while already, and a number of times had invited me along as well. I declined each time, mostly because I was afraid. I was afraid of meeting new people, not fitting in, and the potential for a lot more disappointment. However, thankfully, they were persistent and convinced me to go for a Thanksgiving dinner event. I decided to keep going after that night, and God has blessed me greatly through the Bible studies, friendship, and fellowship with other people, and everything else there. I can honestly say it is one of the things I look forward to most every week now. At the same time last October, God led someone from our church to talk to my mom and myself about an organization in Simcoe that was hiring people in my field of work. I applied, had an interview, and started working for the Norfolk Association for Community Living, which is an organization that supports people with disabilities, in a part-time position last, or late November of last year. I enjoy my work there very much, and God has also blessed me as a witness there as well. A couple days ago, in answer to prayer, I also just got a full-time position there. God has provided me with both a job and friendship, even though through the time of waiting, I had many doubts. These past couple of months have begun a new season of waiting for me. However, I have a completely different perspective because my relationship with God has grown immensely in the last few months. So in closing, I want to share with you some encouraging ways God has helped me as I currently wait upon him so that those of you who may be waiting, whether now or in the future, for someone or something in your life may be encouraged as well. And I also just want to share with you this book that I got. Um, I just got it about a month ago. It's really helped me in my latest time of waiting really be an inspiration and encouragement to me. It's called Waiting on God. It's by uh, Charles Stanley. I don't know if um, some of you have probably, hopefully, heard of him. It's a really, really, really good preacher. 
I really enjoy his sermons. But anyways, here's the points that I, um, that I really um, got from this book. Uh, confidently trust that God knows your every circumstance, situation, need, desire, and every single thing about you because he created you and has the best plan in store for your life. Remember times in your life God has come through for you and believe he will do so again because he loves you. God has a purpose for everything, including times of waiting. So ask him what you can learn and how you can grow in this time. Read your Bible, but also meditate on its words and ask God to speak to your heart through it. Pray, but also listen for God's voice speaking to you, because if you ask him, he will. Thank God for all the many ways he has already blessed you. Very importantly, keep your focus on God, because he should always be number one in your life, and through him all things are possible. Keep busy serving God. God could, be, uh, God could be keeping you waiting to prepare you and develop you so that you are properly ready for the very thing you have asked for. Realize that times of waiting may be difficult, but God may use them and you as a powerful testimony and encouragement to other people in the future. Finally, remember that times of waiting do not last forever, and God has the best plan in store for your life now and throughout eternity. So in all times of waiting, keep praising God, commit your life fully to him, and remember to thank him when the blessings come in your life. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. When I, when I first mentioned uh, to the youth we might be uh, taking over the service and we might uh, have some opportunities to share, uh, Tim said, I, as Tim said, I would love to, and I've just got, I've got something in my heart I'd love to share. And I was really excited. I said, no problem, Tim. I can get you two minutes. I said, I'll give you two minutes, and you can just go up there. And he goes, oh, thanks so much. I promise I won't be more than five. <laughs> and so uh, I, I would simply see well worth it. And if we could just give him another round of applause for... It's, uh, it is tough to come up here and, and face you all. I mean, you're all lovely, but uh, it's tough. I don't think I spoke in a church till I was in my 30s, and uh, so uh, uh, I commend you for doing that. I'd like to thank you for coming. I'd especially like to thank the youth. We were here pretty late last night. Uh, I'd like to thank Dave. He ate 10 cobs of corn, and he's, he's here. I did not think that would happen, but uh, it's, uh, it's nice to see you guys all back, and it's nice to see you all here as well. And uh, we just have a number of things we'd like to share with you today, so we'll kind of get started here. But, uh, you know, we've learned a lot in the last uh, decade or two about the teenage brain. And I know what a lot of you are thinking, like, teenagers have brains, but uh, they do. They heckled me last night when I did that joke, but uh, they do. And we know three things for sure about the teenage brain. One, it's busier than yours. Even when it looks like, even when it looks like there's nothing going on in there, there's more going on in there. There's more electrical impulses and synapses and all that kind of sciencey stuff I don't know anything about. The second thing is they're gooier than yours. And you can see here on the left is the teenage brain, and that's equally self-explanatory and gross. But uh, finally, they're still developing. They may be the full-size brain, but they're getting better. Their brains are not yet at full capacity. They are getting more connected. They are having more complexity built in, uh, whereas your brain, well, let's move on. Uh, but the reason I tell you this is our youth literally think differently than we do. And I think where it's very noticeable is when it comes to risk-taking. And there's lots of reasons for that, but the two I want to talk about are the fact that they're both more responsive to peer pressure and positive reinforcement. And so that leads them to be more risk-takers. And, uh, and, you know, if you've ever said this to your teen or if you're a teen and you, somebody's ever said this to you, well, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you? 
The answer actually is yes, they would. And uh, it's not rebellion, it's how they think. And so, um, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a friend growing up, and uh, his dad had a, he had a midnight curfew, because his dad would always say, nothing good happens after midnight. Anybody ever use that on their kid here? Nothing, yeah, I try nothing good happens after dinner, but they still go out. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, nothing happens. And what he was really saying in a dad sort of way is, I love you, I care about you, I want you to be safe. We interpreted it very differently. What it meant to us in reality is that we would be driving home at 11.45 as fast as his dad's wood-paneled station wagon would carry us. It's nice, eh? We used to call it the snot rocket because it was green and it went really fast. But uh, I wasn't sure if I could say that. But last week, Pastor West said crap. So I figure, you know, <laughs> game on. I, it's not so bad. But uh, he had the curfew because he wanted us to be safe. But we interpreted that it was just a rule that needed to be followed. And so if you made it home by midnight, it didn't matter how safe you had been, you made it home by midnight, you get to borrow the station wagon again next weekend, right? Well, it all came to an end one night when he was driving so fast that uh, he, had, he had exceeded the speedometer's 140 kilometers an hour, and when he slowed down, the speedometer stuck there. And if you're a mechanic, you will tell me that's impossible. You'll say, no, the negative pressure, well, whatever, it's stuck there. He tried pounding on the dash, nothing, right? He had to go home and face the music. And, and I've never again sat in a station wagon, so just so you know, but that was, a, that was the end of that. But, um, you know, while his dad was concerned about safety, we had a different attitude. We had a YOLO attitude. Anybody know what YOLO stands for? It's an acronym. Not you guys. Anybody else? All right, we'll go with you. You only live once. You only love Oreos? No, you only live once, right? And with a, and with a, with a, with a teen, that's not meant... Um, to be like a, a warning. Hey, you only live once. It's meant to be kind of a reckless statement. You know, it's not meant to be YOLO, so be careful. Or you only live once, slow that station wagon down. Or you only live once, think before you act. It's kind of the opposite. It's a little bit like this. Teens tend to think like this. As an adult, you suddenly realize it's more like this. Or, or in my case, possibly this. And uh, I guess I should be careful how I say that, though, because I guess the kind of stunts you do, it kind of matters whether you have a YOLO attitude or not. Take a look at this. I mean, that video was so unrealistic. You see how clean his room was? That's ridiculous. Uh, let, let me try one more time. Let me see if can I get a couple volunteers up here. Let me have six volunteers, not you guys. Six volunteers. I will not make you sing or answer questions that may make you look stupid. Okay? Just come on up. Come on up. One, two, three, right there. I need six. Hi. We got three. Three. Just yell, Sam. Sam, Sam, Sam. Here he comes. Look at that. All right, I'm going to have to take a couple of you guys. I'll take Aiden and I'll. Did you do it yesterday? You did it yesterday. Zara, right here. Just come and line up for me in a nice row. I can't believe some of you were here last night and you still volunteered. So we're going to play a little game, and it's called Bean Boozled. And so basically, it's Jelly Bean Roulette. And I have here a lovely selection of yellow jelly beans, which may taste like buttered popcorn. Or they may taste like rotten eggs, and I don't know which they are. Um, I, they, they don't tell you in the package. They, maybe, guys, maybe they're all good. Maybe they are all good. All right? So don't eat them yet, but take one. Oh, you actually have a preference, do you? No. Nope. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Put up a quick prayer. God, help me pick the right jelly bean. There you go. Can't get it? There you go. All right, so I'll count you guys in. One, two, three, and go. And we'll see if we can guess who got flavor by their faces. You guys ready? One, two, three, go. What, are they all good? Who's faking here? Don't make me give you another one. <laughs> all right, you guys are getting another one. I don't know what happened there, but there's, not, there's nothing funny about you enjoying your snack. Hang on. This is not in the scripts. We're going to go with a nice brown jelly bean, which may, may be chocolate pudding, or it may be canned dog food. I don't know. And if all these are good again, I quit. Here you go. All right, ready? One, two, three, go. Oh, yeah. All right, let, let's give them a round of applause. No one... Uh, I'll be honest, that was mildly disappointing. We had people spitting them out. Last night, Summer spit out in her hand and went to give it back to me. And it's like, <laughs> no. Hey, I was so ready. Oh, my God. I was so ready. I Careful, it'll come back to you. So listen, if, here's the thing, and here's, the, here's what I propose. If risk-taking and young people are so connected, so ingrained, so much a part of who they are, maybe instead of trying to get rid of it, we should be trying to encourage it. And so the question might become, how can you apply a YOLO attitude to your Christian walk? How can you make it so that you are sold out for the gospel, so that you are wholeheartedly following God, and as we heard in the song tonight, surrendering all, holding back nothing? Well, we'll consider that in a moment, but first, could you please help me uh, welcome Sarah up to the podium here? No. Wow, there's more people here. Um, <laughs> for the ones who don't know me, I'm Sarah. Um, this past June, I had to write my final exam. The one subject that really, uh, really got to me was my career exam. If I didn't know, if <laughs> I knew if I didn't get, like get a good grade, I would be looking at summer school. I've always had a lot of anxiety when it comes to being tested or having exams. Um, weeks before my exam, I was starting to stress out about it. I decided that I needed help. I, uh, I asked my small group in youth and my Saturday night church family to pray for me. In the meantime, I was preparing and studying for my exam. When I woke up the next morning on my woke up the morning of my exam, my mom, and, my mom and me prayed. My mom showed me a memory verse. It was Psalm 4, 6 through 7. It said, do not be anxious about anything. Instead of every situation, through, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And the peace of God that suppresses all, surpasses all understanding will guide your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Sometimes at youth, we talk about making our faith our own. That day I did exactly that. Suddenly the peace that God offers us that was not just something I read about in the Bible, but it was real and exciting. So thanks to God and his answers to my prayers, I've able, I have been able to enjoy my summer with no summer school. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. Well done. Well done, Sarah. You know, if you, came, if you came out to youth week after week, you would soon discover we really only talk about two things. We talk about justification, which we talk about probably 10 per... We're not there yet. <laughs> justification, we talk about that about 10% of the time. That's the act of being saved. That's asking God to forgive your sins, and he does it every time uh, for every person. And it's an act. It's something that happens kind of in an instant. What we spend the rest of the time, the other 90% of the time talking about is sanctification. sanctification. I wondered when I first uh, started to teach on sanctification if I shouldn't tell them the word because it was hard or confusing, but they, they know it better than I do now. So the other thing is sanctification. And sanctification is the process of becoming more Christ-like. And so once you're saved, you begin the process of sanctification where you're kind of transformed from one degree of holiness to the next by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talk a lot about. And uh, if you go back several hundred years, there were some people around called the Puritans. And I'm not suggesting you become Puritans, because first, you'd have to dress like this. And second, your hobby would be burning witches, which is not cool. But, but I didn't say witchies. I said, no. Uh, they all look panicked right now. Dominic's like, what? But here's the thing. Um, they came up with two expressions that really explained the process of sanctification. And these two words are vivification and mortification. And if you're not confused yet, hang on. So let me hear you guys say that. Can you say vivification? vivification. Good. Mortification. mortification. Excellent. Hi, <laughs> I'm vivification. And I'm mortification. I come from the same root word as vivacious. And I come from the same root word as mortician. You could say that I'm bubbly, excited, exuberant. <laughs> I have a hard time containing myself. I am death. <laughs> I am solely concerned with pursuing God with all that I have and all that I am. I am solely concerned with putting to death all sin in my life. Colossians 3 tells us that we need to set our minds on the things of God. Colossians 3 also tells us that we need to put to death the things of the world that cause us to sin. You see, when you set your mind on the things of God, you are transformed by the Holy Spirit. You can't make friends with sin. You can't try to tame it. It has to be put down. So how do you do it? So how do you do it? You focus on God and allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. You reject the sins of the world and allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. No, that's what I said. You allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Wow, we have a lot in common. Yeah, we do. Do you want to braid each other's hair? Not that much in common. <laughs> Thank you. So vivification is this focused pursuit after God, and mortification is the attempt to put to death, and that's the word, that's the word it's used in Colossians there, put to death all the sins that are in your life. 
And uh, if you notice, they're both action words. They're both verbs. These are things you were doing as part of this process. And these are things that uh, both pursuing God and rejecting sin. But it's, it, the question has to be, at, like, how do you do that? How do you do both those things? And the Puritans, being the clever people they were, uh, had a phase, phrase for this as well. And it was called the expulsive power of a new affection. Everybody sick of big words yet? That's my last one, I promise. The expulsive power of a new affection. And it's kind of confusing to understand, but basically what it's saying is that your new affection, your, your larger affection for God, has the power to bring into captivity the smaller affections you have for sin. And so the idea is you don't need to be spending all your time focused on your sin. And Pastor West talked about this last week, spending all your time focused on negative. You really need to be focusing on God. And as you become closer and closer to God, your desire for sin becomes less and less. And it doesn't matter what those sins are, envy, jealousy, addictions to drug or alcohol, sexual sins, it doesn't matter because your, your growth and your love for God overpowers those smaller affections you have for sin. Uh, J.D. Greer, who was a pastor in one of those huge churches in the States, he used to be a youth pastor, and uh, he, used to, he used to have such a big church that he would have, his youth group would be like all sectioned off, and he would have a youth group just for college-aged men. I don't want to say boys, men. And so he would meet with them twice a week, and they would often get on the topic of how hard it is to kind of remain pure when you're alone with your girlfriend, because you get to be that age, and you have a lot more ability to be alone, and he would talk about how, they would talk about how hard it is to turn off your desires, and J.D. Greer said to them one day, he says, it's really not hard at all. If you wanted to, you could turn off your desires like this, and of course, they looked at him and said, well, he's a pastor. What else is he going to say, right? Um, you know, but they didn't really believe him, and so he said, let me give you an example. He said, let's say you're at your girlfriend's house. You're watching a movie on the couch, and things are getting a bit heated, and then suddenly you hear the door close behind you, and you realize her dad's just come home. Okay? Immediately, your focus has shifted. Okay? Immediately, because a bigger emotion has just arrived. Fear. Right? And so what happened? You don't like this girl anymore? No, that's not it at all. But what's happened is you've, your, your desire for her has been superseded by a greater desire, a desire to live. And so suddenly, you're looking for doors and windows, and you're wondering how fast can a guy with that much muscle mass move because that's what you're thinking about now, right? You, you've had this, uh, this, this, you've had your desires shifted. And that's the same concept we're talking about here. And if that one doesn't connect for you, uh, I'm sure we have some gamers in the house tonight. Any video game players? We won't say chronic, we'll just say video game players, right? So I guarantee you, if you've been a video game player for a few years, if I go to your house, I can find a video game with an inch of dust on it that you used to play every day. You love that game. You played it all the time. If you couldn't be playing it, you were probably Googling walkthroughs for it. And you, were, and you, you close your eyes at night, and you can still see the sniper behind the whatever. And, and what happened? You don't like the game anymore? It's not that, but you got a new game. And now you play that new game all the time, and you're suddenly not as interested in the old one. And how do you do this? How do we develop a larger passion for God so that we can be more, more able to reject sin? And it's not that we're commanded to. It's not that we're commanded to love God. It's not that we are, are forced to love God. It's that we are given the opportunity to stand in awe of God's love for us. 1 John 4, 19 tells us we love because he first loved us. Not, we love not because we have to, not because we're commanded to, not because if we don't love him, we can't borrow the station wagon the next week. The reason we love is because he first loved us. And when I fully comprehend what God has done for me, 
and what his love has done for me, then I can pursue God with all my heart. And maybe I should restate that. When you fully comprehend what God has done for you, what his love has done for you, then you will be able to fully pursue God with all your heart. And because if I'm honest with you, and again, Wes talked about this last week. I was getting nervous last week. Wes is like wandering right into my, right into my talk, and I'm like, oh, no, what do I do, pull the fire alarm or something? Like, I gotta, but luckily, he, he, he veered in a different direction. But he talked about this last week. I'm not motivated by negative things. I don't want, you know, I want to dedicate my, my life not simply to not doing things. I don't want to be lying on my deathbed saying my greatest achievement was that I never cheated on my taxes or that I usually went the speed limit or I hardly ever littered. I don't want to do that. I want to be able to say that I dedicated my life to serving the one true God. And I want to be able to say that my love for him has motivated me to live a life that will bring him glory. And, and, and in that, my desire to sin, my desire to be selfish, it becomes less and less as I focus on him more and more. And would you guys just to help me welcome Hannah. You look excited to come up. Hannah's going to come up and share. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Hannah. I grew up in a loving Christian home, and I always assumed so did many other people. I've lost a lot of loved ones as I've grown up, but the hardest was my Nana when I was four. <clears throat> when I was six, I began attending a local school, and I was faced with a lot of unkindness and bullying. This happened to me through both of my public schools I had went to, and on to high school as well. It started to get really bad, and I started to become depressed, to the point where I was cutting, uh, cutting my wrists, and I even thought about suicide. I had walked away from God until the one night I shared my journey with my church, with my church family on Saturday night. The support was overwhelming. They prayed for me on the spot, and Brian Bunting offered to help me walk, walk through my journey of pain, that my family <coughs> walk with me through the pain of everything that had happened between school and even what my, what my family had done to me. I've learned so many things from God's word, I have learned that it doesn't really matter what other people think of me or how they see me. What really matters is what God thinks of me and how God sees me. There is nothing that I can do to make God love me more because he already loves me completely. God specially made me in his image, and because I have received his free gift of salvation, he sees me as, a special, as perfectly saint. It doesn't mean that the word of others can't still hurt me, but my strength comes from God because I know in his eyes I'm, I am a masterpiece. A couple of months ago, I decided to go to Circle Square Ranch for three weeks. I had fallen back into depression and thought it might help. So, so a couple of weeks ago, I went to the ranch. And while I was there, I heard, the first day I was there, I heard a voice in my head saying, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I didn't think much of it. I didn't think much of it and went on with my week. I had become ill and had to leave early because I had heat stroke. Still, I had the voice in my head saying, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I still ignored it and did so the very next week as well. But the last week I was there, I heard a voice again. But this time it had come in a voice that I hadn't heard in a really long time. 
It was my Nana's voice. So I took my Bible and I began reading, and I found the verse, and it says, For you created my, my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my, my un, unformed body all the days ordained for me for me were in, in your book before one of them came to be. Psalms 139, 13 to 16. I am thankful for God's love and for him showing me that he loves me more than I could ever imagine. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Well done. Well done. So if we, if, if, if we understand that, um, you know, uh, it's God's love for us that motivates to him for us to love him, I think to really understand God's love, we need to go to the cross. We need to understand that the gospel is the good news, that what we couldn't do for ourselves, Jesus came and did for us, that he saved us. And we were all found guilty of sin, and our, and our penalty was death. But God loves us so much that he came to this earth to live a life that we really should have lived ourselves, but couldn't. And then he willingly and knowingly died a death that we should have. And he offers that sacrifice to us as a gift, as a free gift, himself to, as a gift to us if we'll receive him. It's called gifted righteousness. It's, it was Jesus in my place, paying the penalty for me, and then offering it back to me as a gift. And I just need to accept. Because when you receive the gospel into your life, what it really shows you is, and I think Hannah said this, God can't love you any more than he does right now. He's maxed out. There's no more. He needs to, and we need to realize that Jesus did not simply die for all people. He died for each person. And, and, and he died for Summer. And I know there's 7 billion people on the planet, but Summer was enough. And he died for Krista. And I know there's 7 billion other people on the planet, but Krista was enough. Because I believe this more, than, more strongly than I believe anything, that if I was the only sinner on the planet, if everyone else here and all around the world were perfect and they were seen in the eyes of God as perfect, and it's just me, I still believe Christ would have come just for me, that none would perish. Take a look at this. Your sin is not greater than God. Your past life doesn't have a stronger hold on you than God does. And your addictions can't pursue you as strongly as God pursues you. Isaiah 59, 1 tells us that God's arm is not too short to reach you, not too short to save. And my greatest desire is for you that you develop a faith of your own, that you um, develop a relationship with Christ that is real and personal to you, and not one that is handed down from your parents or your pastor. And I thank God for parents, and I thank God for churches that teach what it means to walk in relationship with Christ. But until you develop your own relationship with Christ, you won't have that intense drive to pursue God. It'll be like following rules. It'll be like being home by 12, but I wasn't safe. I didn't do what my father wanted. I, I, I met the deadline. I followed a rule, but I didn't get there based on the heart of what my father wanted from me. And uh, it's my desire for you that you would just continue to do that. And I, I think that once you have that, once you have that true relationship with Christ, once you have a connection with Christ where it's real and it's personal, you just can't help but just to reach out to God more and more and become more and more committed to following Him. And when that happens, the, the sins in your life have less hold on you. 
the sins in your life just become distant and the sins in your life become something where you're so motivated to, to, to follow in God's footsteps, to follow in Christ's footsteps, that the sins become something that instead of having such a strong affection for them, you, start, you really then start to despise them. Can I pray for you guys before we go out? I'm, I'm careful of the clock here. Uh, God, you know the heart of everyone here today, and you know uh, where, where they are and where they're coming from and what they're carrying with them. And uh, maybe this is really new to some people here today, and maybe this sounds like something they want, peace with God, a way out from the burden of guilt they've been carrying. And if that's the case, Lord, please to give them the boldness to speak to someone here today. Not that they need to make a commitment, Lord, but that they, they would reach out to someone and learn more. And for some, Lord, they may have been doing this church thing for a while, and they may have heard this all before, but they're realizing they don't really ne they've never really made a personal commitment to follow you. Some may have been going along with what their parents believe or what the kids and youth believe, Lord, not knowing it, truly knowing it for themselves. And Lord, for those I pray that you place on their hearts a desire to connect with you. Uh, Lord, give them the boldness to reach out to you. And if they aren't sure how, Lord, to reach out to someone here today to get that conversation started. And for some, Lord, they've made this decision before and they're already trusting in you. And may you have the glory for that, God. And I just would ask that you place in their hearts a passion to pursue you the way you have pursued them. May they feel your love here in a powerful way tonight that would motivate them to turn that back and just to show their love to you, Lord, and leave here knowing that there are really no limits for your love for them. I just thank you so much for everyone here today, for the youth who came back out again, Lord, and just that you would just bless our time today as, as we spend the day together, Lord, and just that we would take some of these thoughts home with us and, and let them dwell for a little while. I pray this in your precious name, Jesus.